I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. There is perhaps no bigger sign of the economic times than the soaring price of housing. In stark contrast to the country's falling stock market, the median price for an American home is up nearly 20% in a year, driven in part by skyrocketing inflation and a pandemic incenting larger and more spacious dwellings. But the rising prices of homes is placing special pressure on Americans everywhere, especially young people, women, and underrepresented minorities. What's more, working-class households on the cusp of home ownership before the pandemic may now need another five to 10 years to play catch-up. And in the midst of it all, policymakers are scrambling for responses, from billions of dollars in investments in America's public housing infrastructure to billions more in down payment assistance for first-generation homeowners. But policymakers aren't the only ones to have taken note of the conundrum. Fintech founders and startups are as well, and are developing a range of applications all designed to help support people in their journey for home ownership. Now, one particularly interesting company is Finlocker, a software firm that leverages big data and artificial intelligence to assist people looking for mortgages before they even start to think about owning homes. It's the kind of technological magic that we like to learn more about on the show, and we've invited FinLocker's president, Brian View, onto the podcast to learn more about the company and to get his own thoughts on the state of housing and what technology can bring to the table in a world of quickly spiraling housing costs. Brian, thanks so much for joining the show. Chris, it's uh, I'm glad to be here, man. This is going to be great. Yeah, you know, you know, you are really, you know, at the forefront of it all, and I think it's really good to just jump right in uh, with maybe your impressions of the current state of housing and and housing affordability. From your standpoint, what's really standing out? Well, I mean, it, it goes without saying that uh, there's a severe lack of inventory, and nowhere do you see that being more evident than at the kind of entry level uh, space, which is where first time homebuyers are typically coming in. So we you know, we're seeing it. And, and just for, for context, I'm a 28-year mortgage production veteran before I moved into the fintech space. So I, I kind of bring a perspective of being in that space for almost three decades. And never have I seen kind of an inventory glut like we're seeing today that's, that's impacting so many would-be uh, and otherwise ready first-time homebuyers. When you look around uh, the country, it really doesn't matter whether or not you're on the East Coast, the West Coast, or the Midwest. Uh, you're seeing housing prices going up, and and at the same time, uh, most of the time, some kind of uh, uh, really lack of, of 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 inventory. I mean, what are you seeing as the major drivers in housing prices? Well, I think you you kind of hit on it a little bit in the in the open. You know, COVID and and uh, this uh, concept of uh, work from home has really changed people's mobility, and so I think you're seeing. A lot of people um, across all kinds of demographics and age groups deciding that if I can work from home, then I should be able to live where I want to live. And so there, I think that's a probably an unprecedented driver for 
uh, housing appetite from a buy side. Um, the flip side of that is, you know, I think a lot of people are also kind of saying, I like my house, but now that I have to work here, I need to put, I need to put an office in or make it a little bit bigger. So you got people that are kind of rooting in and staying put that otherwise may have moved up. Um, and then there's kind of this, uh, the shadow market, I think that at, at its core is really causing problems. And that's the, the, the massive number of institutional investors who are purchasing homes, taking them right off the market and, in, in you know, not not even giving these 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 home buyers a chance to even even be in the game. So I think that you know com- the combination thereof is, to me, is what's really driving this thing. I think that's really interesting, especially you know when you think about the fact that um, you know a lot of the demand for housing is being driven not just by people aging into larger families and with with kids, but you know they're also younger people. A lot of uh, younger people who are just quite literally setting up shop. At home, and they're looking around and, and they're reevaluating what their own housing needs uh, can be. Uh, but w- with that said, you know, you look at some of these dynamics, and they seem sort of larger than life. Um, and yet, you're trying to take a crack at at addressing um, some of these challenges. Maybe you can just give us a, a basic sense of, of Finlocker and and really sort of where it fits in the the overall um, housing or even mortgage landscape. Chris, we sit today in the mortgage kind of vertical supporting, you know, real estate through financing, right? So we're a partner to the lenders who are engaged with these home buyers. And if I can just back up a, a bit and just talk about the kind of historical friction that that the standard or prior standard mortgage process had and, and how it could create, you know, an elongated process in both duration and effort. Um, I'll start there and then kind of talk about how we've and others in the industry have, have been working on streamlining. So traditionally, the decision-making process for a lender to give a consumer uh, financing to go buy a home um, involved uh, a series of um, Q&A. <laughs> the, the, the lender would ask a bunch of questions of the borrower and then ask for documentation to validate and verify those questions. So things like, who do you work for? When did you start? How much do you make? How much money do you have in your your bank account? You know, yada yada yada. And so, um, traditionally, that is a has been a very paper intensive process. And if the process extends beyond, let's just say, sixty days, the documentation is considered stale, and you have to go back and ask for a refresh of those documents. So, plenty of friction points. And in the context of today's environment that we talked about at the open, which is We've got these challenges with inventory. We have this shadow set of investor buyers who are essentially cash buyers. All things being equal, if I'm a seller and I have a cash buyer versus a buyer who's got to go through a 60 or 90 day process, I'm probably going to take the cash buyer, maybe even when their offer is slightly lower than this other consumer. So what Finlocker and some other uh, uh, very forward-leaning fintechs and frankly lenders have been focused on really over the last number of years is how do we take uh, the the this paper intensive painstaking process and move to a <coughs> more digitized experience and 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 to double click on that move to an experience that offers direct source data so instead of getting paper statements let's go to the direct let's go to the source and get the data directly with the consumer's permission and consent and bring that data into the mortgage process to streamline, 
remove friction, and frankly, compress the, 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 the lending cycle so that all things being equal now, a, a buyer can say, this cut, this consumer's already approved versus this cash buyer, because they're virtually the same at that point. What was really interesting in that answer is that it really does speak to this larger trend as to what's happening overall in this question of data, whether or not it's, it's open banking and, and, and sort of permission data, but really how do we facilitate information in a way that enables transactions either because of their speed or because of their quality or ideally in terms of both. Um, you know, when you're trying to, uh, you know, address or to tackle that that problem, you know, what does that look like? I mean, is is this is this a technology solution that's going to be designed, you know, uh, on an individual's app, you know, where where a lender or excuse me, a, a borrower accesses information uh, di- directly? Where in this larger dynamic system of underwriting does Finlocker fit in? Uh, where is Finlocker adding value? Yeah, no, uh, I love that. And, and uh, again, coming out of almost three decades of, of being right in that space, traditionally, the mortgage lender first engaged their, their borrower at what is known as the point of sale, right? And so in the, in the mortgage space, the point of sale is when the consumer is ready to apply for a loan because they've made it, they put a purchase agreement in place on a property, they bought a home, right? Now they need to secure financing. What Finlocker is empowering lenders of all sizes to uh, to do is to get further up the funnel, engage consumers maybe at the point of thought or even before the point of thought, and then let the consumer be empowered to leverage their data. They're they're in control through our app of that data. So uh, one example would be, you know, uh, I like to use the first time homebuyer as an example. They don't just magically wake up on a Saturday uh, ready to buy a home. They go through a, an emotional and financial preparation process. And one or the other could be more exhausted than the other. It just depends on their situation. But nonetheless, they go through a process oftentimes before they ever talk to a realtor or a lender. And so uh, partners of ours are using Finlocker, A, to, to create a wider funnel much earlier uh, than they typically would have to attract more consumers in using the tools that, that Finlocker has for uh, improving credit, creating budgets, um, understanding your entire financial life. We even have embedded real estate search as a feature. And so the, the, the lenders that are uh, attracting these consumers early on are essentially giving these consumers a tool that is going to give them a roadmap for mortgage readiness. Um, we're, we're, gonna, we're basically looking at the consumer across five dimensions, verified identity, credit, assets, income, and employment. And those happen to be the same five dimensions that every loan is underwritten on to some degree. And so we are, we're pushing that, that, those tools to the consumer very early. And so they may, they may engage with the app. And for the first two months, they're not ready because their debt to income ratio, right? The, the amount of their total mortgage pay or uh, uh, expense payments exceeds an acceptable ratio for that loan being eligible for sale to, to the, the, the end of the secondary market. And so the app will give, not only tell them that this is what's holding you back, but will help them across their actual data, find strategies to improve that, whether it's through budgeting or other methods. So, so really you guys are coming in and you're, you're, you're empowering the lender to in effect, empower the ultimate end user or, yes. or borrower, right? 
So you're you're the software company that's coming in, and 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 providing a set of solutions, you know, to as you said, engage the end user at the point of thought. That is a really interesting way of putting things at the point of thought. What, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, um, we've we've kind of been studying, you know, things that the average consumer does as they're going through this this process of becoming a, a home buyer, and we think there's four leading indicators of somebody kind of entering that realm. And today they're doing this on websites and apps that are that are readily available in the marketplace. You know, so searching for property, usually a decent sign that someone is uh, at least having thoughts about what would it look like to buy a home and where would I want to do that? So playing with Zillow and other other search sites is a is, is something that happens. Um, credit, consumers who are starting that journey typically want to know where they stand with respect to their credit. So they're going to go to an app or to their bank and get their free credit report and understand their score and maybe start playing with other tools to help improve their credit. And then as you get a little bit deeper into that process or that funnel, they may start engaging on, online or, or on, a, on an app with tools to understand what would a payment look like if I bought a home of this size or, or what would my mortgage be? And, and so they're starting to play with online calculators. And then finally, as they get really serious, they actually want to understand what the impact to their cash flow would be if they owned a home. So they get deeper into maybe a personal financial management tool. We've, we've taken those kind of four leading indicators that are happening kind of independent of each other typically, brought them into one experience. And we do that you know, through a, a, a white label solution for our lender partners. And that offers that lender again a set of tools to engage and provide value to consumers well before, uh, again, the, they're ready. So that, that's kind of what I mean when I talk about the point of thought is when they're doing these other things that otherwise wouldn't indicate until you put them all together that someone's really ready to go. You know, I think that one of the the really interesting things about um, data oriented solutions, or and and big tech more more generally, is that the way in which they're thinking about that consumer is very different. I think than you know traditional business models, because you know what you're describing is a model where we're going to leverage data and we're going to leverage inputs and we're going to leverage you know what we know about the behavior of individuals in ways to sort of engage them even before they themselves may be concretely thinking about entering into the housing market. And 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 by, as I'm gonna use your language here, you know, moving up the funnel and 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 engaging the person earlier, your your hunch is, hey, we may be able to open up more opportunities for that person, right? And and yes. I guess, you know, sort of push on the boundaries of of, of uh, financial inclusion, maybe you could just sort of take that extra step there. You know, like by able by being able to engage the person earlier on in that housing journey, what you know, what what concretely do you hope to get um, uh, out of financial inclusion in, in the sense of being able to you know again open the credit box and or um, open the, the the scale of opportunities um, uh, for borrowers. Yeah, so I you know I think I'll start maybe first with the credit box and and I, and you know it's our belief that direct source data uh, is is the best data to use when 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 decisioning at a loan level, um, and we believe that actually helps. Uh, if if all things equal, all I'm seeing is data, then I'm not making any decisions other than on this set of data. 
Um, so there's, you know, there's some maybe bias that's removed from that, that process by just, you know, hammering on that data piece. Um, but we also really believe that uh, marrying tools like I described with, with supporting kind of better financial literacy and financial fitness um, is going to contribute to creating more responsible and ready home buyers uh, that are going to have a more successful home ownership experience, right? Uh, there's, we've seen this, this, this movie play out too many times where um, either through predatory lending or just products that, that go bad in, a, in certain markets that consumers maybe were in too much of a home with too much of a mortgage. And when, when things got a little bit bad, then they lost their home. And so there, I think there's an element of, of responsibility around that. Another area that we're proud of is, is the tools that we've built specifically around budgeting. We partnered with uh, the, the Housing and Urban Development, HUD, and their housing counselors to build a format that sits on top of that consumer's direct source data that is the same format that a housing counselor would use. And, and, and traditionally, they do that old school way, shoebox full of uh, statements and receipts, and they're kind of creating an Excel type budget. We help streamline the automation of that budget which helps counselors engage in a different way with these consumers, especially younger consumers who are more comfortable dealing with, uh, you know, a digital experience. And so we also believe we're helping scale up how many people a counselor can help by using a tool like FinLocker. So we're not just handle, we're not just going at it from the lending side, but we're also bringing in uh, housing counselors who've traditionally done it kind of rolling up their sleeves and getting their hands dirty. We are still in unprecedented times. I think maybe to, to sort of uh, just just end off and to cap off the conversation is interesting to maybe head back to where we started. I mean, when you look at the economy, uh, we have sky-high inflation. Uh, for better or worse, real estate's a pretty good hedge for inflation, uh, but that also means that housing experiences uh, sort of inflation on the chin, uh, along with lots of other sort of uh, staples in society. Um, you know, what does your business look like in that kind of environment, right? In a high inflationary environment. I mean, I think it's 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 super interesting that you know you have conversations about what's happening to fintech in a high inflation environment. But you're not a just a fintech. You're you're a housing fintech, and and that impacts both you as a business, but it also <laughs> Im- impacts your 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 customers. So we are today our 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 platform has a product that serves the mortgage vertical, but we are a platform company that you know, can serve other financial uh, verticals in the same way we help shape mortgage readiness, we could be shaping some other financial readiness. Um, so that's one of our natural hedges, if you will. And, and frankly, we're, we're exploring these other, uh, these other verticals. But what I would say is, you know, when we look at, you know, we look, we kind of look at a combination of the Mortgage Bankers Association, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's forecasts for mortgage originations, you know, out over the next three to five years. Um, And we're coming off of a historic total mortgage market that was frankly driven by mostly refinance activity because uh, of COVID impacted mortgage rates. (laughs) So what we're seeing as we kind of come into 2022 from a mortgage origination perspective is frankly a return to a more normalized market where Purchase money loans are 70% of the transactions that are being done across the industry. And what's 
what each of those uh, parties that I named, Fannie, Freddie, and NBA, are predicting is that about a third of the homes purchased over the next three to four years will be first-time home buyers. Um, and so it's, you know, and, and by, you know, you can assume that the, because it's a first-time home buyer segment, these are going to be generally younger consumers who are not as uh, astute to a, a financial product like a mortgage and what it means to own a home. And so we actually feel really good about where we're positioned with the, the, that segment being, you know, one of the strongest single segments for uh, purchase forecast going forward. Doesn't make it any less challenging. We can't solve inventory at Finlocker. Um, but we do, you know, we do uh, really have that same belief that that's the big segment. And there's millions of those every year behind those, right? Everyone, all these 22-year-olds today are going to be that same segment in five years. So, uh, and, and I think the demand for a digital kind of, you know, on-demand experience is, is continuing to, to come from that, that consumer segment. Brian, well, you know, always I like to talk to companies that are doing well by doing good. Uh, Finlocker has a really interesting story, and, and I wish you the very, very best. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. No matter what business you're in, technology is poised to transform the way you do business. The question, of course, is whether the gains of digital transformation are usurped by the first to adapt to a digital economy or passed to consumers and customers. Now, Finlocker illustrates the prospect of at least one other possibility of first movers in the transformation race taking the reins to enable other companies to empower their customers. It's a tantalizing prospect in a world of unpredictable macroeconomic forces where improving consumer welfare will be less the responsibility of any one actor and at times only possible as a team effort. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.